So the last time I was up and spoke, I started down the road of speaking about justice. And I um, and was kind of going through the introductory of, of justice. And so with the in the Gospel of John, there when you look at the gospel, it actually breaks out into some segments. And John, from beginning to end, unlike the other uh, three writers, John is giving us, uh, he's weaving a story beyond just giving us pieces of information about what Jesus did, what somebody said. Um, and so the beginning of John, we start with the word became flesh. So we have the, the famous opening in 1 John and all that, that's happening you know, in 1 John, and then that brings us into John 3 and the encounter with Nicodemus. So, but in the first part, about the first uh, six chapters, roughly, we have the word became flesh. And so John is introducing us to Jesus the Messiah through the power gifts, through the things and the encounters with people that he's having. Those encounters start getting him in trouble right from the beginning. And when we get to the center of, of the Gospel of John, which is where we're going to be today, uh, part of 7, 8, 9, 10, in those chapters, we start watching, and John is, is bringing us into this story of where Jesus is now being openly confronted by the powers that be and challenged at every step that he takes. And then when we move beyond the center of the gospel, and now we move towards the end, which we'll, we'll be in in some weeks, now we're coming to the culmination of the confrontation, which, which of course ends with the trial and the execution, and then the resurrection. So, but John is wanting us to see some things in this beyond just giving us the facts. So if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 8, I don't know how far we'll get there today, but we'll, we'll plug into this some. John chapter 8, uh, the first uh, verses 1 through 11. Now Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and they sat down, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who has been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, of Moses, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is an interesting picture 
um, that, that developed. So we have Jesus comes in, and he, he sits down, and he's beginning to teach. So there's a crowd of people. I, I've seen, like in some of the different uh, movies and stuff, I've seen where they, it almost like Jesus is walking down the street by himself, and this group of six or seven or ten guys with this woman that they've caught as if they didn't know what was going on. And, you know, they throw her at his feet, and there's the, this whole story ensues. But that's not the way John presents the picture. Jesus is already teaching, and there's a crowd around. Now the Pharisees and the scribes bring this woman in, but she's not on the ground. She's standing up. So if in our mind's eye, if we can begin to see this thing, so there's this crowd of people. Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching the crowd. These guys interrupt everything, drag this woman in, stand her in front of Jesus as they stand there as well, and demand from Jesus, this is what Moses said, so what do you say? Now, this is where I, where I find um, just a, an interesting piece of this picture. The accusers are standing. The accused is standing. The one asked to give a verdict is standing. Except now, the one asked to give the verdict kneels down and begins to write. Now, there's a gazillion stories about his, what he's writing on the ground. So you worked out, at, that out to whatever story you want. <laughs> Not even going there. Whatever he was writing, it was good. That's all I'm going to tell you. It was good. So he's writing here. She's standing in front of him. They're standing behind her. I've often wondered, well, why did he do that? And so this is my story. You can do with it what you want. The crowd is seated. Jesus, so the crowd is seated. You have the accusers. You have the accused. You have Jesus. Jesus bows before the accused. He goes down on his knee. For a man to do that to a woman in public is forbidden. No man would stoop before a woman. But he does, and he begins to write in the sand. Well, the only people standing at that point are the accusers and the accused. So all eyes are on them. It's as if Jesus wants the crowd to get a good picture of what's happening in front of them. So they demand from Jesus, this is what Moses says, what do you say? So he writes a little more. And finally, he stands up. And when he stands up, he says to them, OK, whichever one of you are without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Now, you know, and the story tells us, and we're, we're all familiar with this story. We've all heard it 100 times. But when he says this, the accusers begin to depart from the oldest to the youngest. Now, there's something really keen there, too. Us old folk, we, we carry a fair amount of baggage. So it doesn't take much to remind us of all of our failures. You young upstarts, you all think you got it all figured out and know all the answers. 
That's why the old ones beat feet first. They're like, I ain't even standing here. I, I've, I already get what he says. Can't win. Yeah, yeah, can't win. So I'm just going to bow out. I don't think this was a good idea anyway. I wasn't the one that originated it. See you all later. You know. So ultimately, um, and, and now it's to the youngest. So now Jesus is standing before this woman, and he says, so where are your accusers? You know, she says, well, there isn't any. And he says, I don't accuse you either. But this is the deal. Go and sin no more. It's interesting that the accusers come with their accusations. Jesus turns the tide on them with the question, which is really accusing them of both sin and hypocrisy. And they know it. They know it. And now they've, in a sense, they've been embarrassed in front of the whole crowd. But this, this, well, as we move through these scriptures, the question, where are your accusers? That question doesn't enter, end with this woman. The question, where are your accusers? John lets it hang through the next piece of the gospel. And the accusers, having that plan failed, now move on to the next step, because they're out to get Jesus. I mean, this whole narrative through 7, 8, 9, 10 of the chapters of John, when you read through that, these guys are going to get him. That's the plan. And if the first thing fails, we move on to the next one. John chapter 8. Yeah, John chapter 8, verses 14 and 16. I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation. Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid, for I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. For you've set yourselves up as judges of others based on outward appearances. But I certainly never judge others that way, for I discern the truth. And I'm not alone in my judgments, for my Father and I have the same understanding in all things. And he has sent me to you. So again, Jesus is like, okay, you, you guys, you're making these judgments. You're making these actual accusations. You have no idea what you're even talking about. But I know who I am. And I know where I've come from. And the songs that we sang earlier today, I come from the land of thunder. Yes. I come from the land of lightning. Right. I come from the land of the throne. And you have no idea who I am. That's right. But I know where I came from. That's right. I know who I am. I know why I'm here, That's right. and I know where I'm going, mm -hmm. 
and you can't touch me. He went on to say, you know, Jesus was saying, you know, you say I'm making these claims and I'm making them on my own. But in fact, my voice isn't the only voice. Because my father, the father agrees with the son and the son agrees with the father. Because we can't see the son without first being instructed by the father. And we can't see the father unless we've seen the son. The two work together. You you don't get one without the other. uh, John, I don't know, John 7, somewhere in there. Just read the whole Gospel of John, you'll find it. Um, But I think it's, it's, it's somewhere in John 7. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father instructs them first. Oh, what? I didn't think I could hear from God until I knew Jesus. I thought I had to be born again in order to know God. But you're telling me God's been instructing me. So the day I say, Jesus, this is, you're what my heart has been longing for. Come. That isn't the beginning. The beginning was the Father was instructing me through however long I've lived to that point. The Father has been instructing me so that at a certain point, I actually can see the Son. And the minute I see the Son, the Son immediately turns around and goes, have you seen my dad? And the dad's going, have you seen my son? And they're, they're just delighted back and forth because they're so enjoying looking at each other that for us to enter into that, they're thrilled. For these people, that, that for the crowd that Jesus is dealing with, they saw the sun, but their judgment was wrong because it was just based on outward appearance. Anytime we judge by outward appearance, we're going to be wrong. Because the color of a person's skin or their, their lot in life or all those things that we use to measure by, they're not kingdom measurements. Those are measurements of the world. But so Jesus is saying, you know, your judgment is wrong because you base it on outward appearance. They saw with their natural eyes, but they were blind because they didn't see with their ears. I'm not going to go through those scriptures today, but suffice it to say there's multiple places, Old Testament and New Testament, where the scriptures encourage us to see with our ears. Well, that, I mean, no, you see with your eyes, you hear with your ears. Jesus is saying, you're blind unless you can see with your ears. So I can see with my natural eyes, but if I can't see with my ears, then I'm not going to see God. Well, how in the world do you see with your ears? You see like this. There's a tractor trailer going down Route 13 on the southbound lane, and it's coming up to a stoplight, and it's getting ready to stop. How many people have a picture in their mind? 
That's how you see with your ears. That's why when the scriptures talk about us beholding him and encourage us to behold him, when I behold, I am seeing with my ears. Because my beholding begins with the voice. It doesn't begin with the object. God speaks, I hear, I see. And when that happens, now I'm able to see and to judge according to the kingdom. If I don't hear and I only look, then I haven't seen. So they, this crowd in front of him, they're not hearing the inward voice of the father, which is saying, behold, my son. And they didn't hear the voice of the son saying, behold, my father, I'm bearing witness of my father. So as the scriptures say, they're the blind leading the blind. Because in their blindness, they've kept others from hearing. And they didn't even know that they needed to hear. <laughs> so now they're the blind leading the blind. Understanding comes by fellowship of relationship, not by natural observation. This, this whole thing of the kingdom if we only get there through religious order and structure, then we haven't gotten there. It's got to be relationship. It's got to be a fellowship in relationship where my heart is hearing, and then out of what I hear, I can now see, and out of what I now see, I can now do. Jesus put it this way. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. If all I do is see, then my eyes will produce judgment by the world standards. The world standards are always going to be my default if my ears aren't seeing. The default is what we've been trained with from coming on planet Earth. The baby that's newly born you hold in your hands is only innocence. That baby is going to learn judgments. It's going to learn how to see. We all went down that path, and no matter how great our parents were, how, how righteous they were, how much they instilled in us, um, you know, biblical principles and so forth, we all still learn by the environment around us. And I would say since the fall to the present, my default is always going to be there until I've had an encounter with Jesus. So I will always default back to just seeing with my natural eyes. 
And as I've already said, when I'm seeing with my ears, I'll produce judgments that are king by the kingdom standards. So those who are blind can't hear, and so therefore they can't see. Those who see will be the ones that are able to hear. So in John 8, verses 38 through 41, and this is interesting. And when, if you think about hearing with your ears, when you read through the gospel or even any of the scriptures, but the, the gospel of John in particular, because John will pick, he has certain key words that he weaves all the way through the gospel because he's wanting us to see what the story is producing. And just in these couple verses, 38 to 41, the word speak, the word told, the word heard, the word talking, are all in these verses. Yet the truths I speak, I've seen and received in my Father's presence. But you are doing what you've learned from your father. What do you mean, they replied? Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you are really Abraham's sons, then you would follow the steps of Abraham. I've only told you the truth that I've heard in my father's presence, but now you are wanting me dead. Is, now, is that how Abraham acted? No. You people are doing what your father has taught you. Indignant, they responded, what are you talking about? We only have one father, God himself. We're not illegitimate. Nothing like taking a swipe. John 8, 44, Jesus says, You are the offspring of your father, the devil. They all went, Hallelujah. You serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the one who is the true prince, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying in his native tongue, he is a master of de deception and a father of lies. Just a side note that we're not going to go into, but it may be worth thinking about. There's a narrative that, you know, that Lucifer was was the angel of light and it was the head worshiper and you know I was raised in that culture and then we saw him fight Jesus said I saw him fall like fire and and so on except that here Jesus says that the devil has been a murderer right from the start and he's never stood with the one who is the true prince Moving on. <laughs> okay. 
So it's interesting that uh, you know, they throw this little tag in there. We're not illegitimate. We know who our father is. And she says, we all know where you came from. Because seeing with their eyes, that judgment makes sense. You're just a bastard kid. We know. And in the, in the, in the, in the family I grew up in, that was just referred to as, you just came from the wrong side of the tracks. Because on that side of tracks, that's where they do all that stuff. On our side of tracks, we're pious. And in my younger years, we were also white. <laughs> Thank goodness those tracks got pulled up. <laughs> but the, this, this uh, you know, Jesus, you can't possibly have a relationship that you say you have with God because we know where you came from. And you were disqualified from the beginning. And now you're going to tell us how we have to live? You're going to tell us what God's saying? No, nah, we ain't buying it. Because I can only see with my eyes. I can't see with my ears. So now the Son of Man, full of truth, speaks truth. And our only option is we need to kill this guy. Because I can't see. I'm blind. <laughs> now, this statement is in the church more than it absolutely should be. But I think, from my perspective, this is still a true statement that I'm making. Um, those who won't see will almost always choose to violate the person who is speaking truth. Because you're, you're challenging me. You're creating attention in me. And I'm not going to yield to what you're saying because I can't hear it. But what I can do, I will use violence against you to either dismiss you or get rid of you. So now, this question that was hanging in the air, woman, where is your accusers? That question now comes back, and it, and it circles around in John. And now, it's being asked of Jesus. Because he then says to the crowd, so who's going to bring a charge of sin against me? Where's the sin? John 8.46, can you name one sin I've committed? Then if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? It's 8.46. So that's the confrontation. That question comes back around. You're now accusing me, but you won't listen. Why, why won't you listen? And this is a question Fountain and I actually battered around all week when he was here. When, con when confronted with love, why do we become afraid? Why do I not yield when confronted by love? What, what is scary about love? 
when, when I'm standing there face to face with it, I resist it. But anyway, he's saying, you know, I'm telling you the truth and you won't and don't believe me. In this section, Jesus now introduces us to the, to the transition that John now will carry on to the end, which is for the first time, Jesus starts talking about the unseen realm. There's something bigger going on here than you. You may not like me. You may be challenged by me. You may be plotting my death. But what I'm telling you is that you're now part of something bigger than yourself and you're blind and you can't even see the part that you're now playing. So Jesus refers, you're of your father, the devil. So the devil, the term devil is from the Hebrew term, which is ha-satan, which just means the accuser. And the irony is in, the, in these middle chapters is the, they... Uh, they, the crowd around Jesus, are now the crowd of the accusation. They're doing the very thing that they're accusing him of doing. And they go on. They say, well, you're demon-possessed. That's it. That's a, that's a good one. I'm glad, man, I'm glad you came up with that line. Yeah, he's demon-possessed. And then all of a sudden the crowd went, well, that has a good roll off the tongue. Yeah, you're demon-possessed. And they all start talking. You've got to be demon-possessed. Who would do what you do if you weren't demon-possessed? When we can't see in our zeal to protect our positions... Will, will willingly create the false witness. And they willingly created the false witness against Jesus. They knew there was no evidence. And they were willing, and, and goes, this will carry on through, through to the end, actually right up to the trial. At this point, the Pharisees, the scribes, who knew better, who talked the talk, knew that you can't bring a false witness against a brother. You know, what did Moses say about this woman in adultery? Well, what did Moses say about a false witness? That one's not bothering you. You're just torqued up over this woman. So in this place, as we're looking at justice, here is where we begin to see, here is, this, here is what injustice looks like. Injustice, the lie. Injustice, the character assassination. Injustice, the false accusations. Injustice now starts to be the peace that is now moving with Jesus until finally, and we won't get there today by any means, but finally injustice brings itself to the trial and the execution. An innocent man. And we'll, we'll look into that further when we get further along. But John is starting to give us this, this glimpse into if in the world we're faced with injustice. We talked about this weeks ago where this whole concept of justice, we all have a sense of justice. We all know when, when we've been exposed to injustice, when we've been treated unjustly. We, we all know that. 
and yet as humankind, we, it's impossible for us to actually get to justice. One, you can't get to justice, you can't get to kingdom justice if all I'm doing is looking through my eyes. Because justice in my eyes, in the world system's eyes, is an eye for an eye. And God keeps saying now, Jesus is saying now, it's been said, but I say. You don't get to, you know, an eye for an eye now. Love your neighbor. Turn a cheek. You know, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later too, but just it's, there's this shift. And so we're now starting to see, and Jesus says, that his whole mission is to sort out this thing and the, in, in, the inability to provide justice. That's one of the things that he's come to set right. This is what justice looks like. And John 9.39, Jesus said, I've come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see. That's a tension we have to deal with. Because if I'm claiming to see and I refuse to yield to hearing, then I'll be made blind. But if I'm blind and I cry out, Lord, heal me, I'll see. And it's all a matter of the heart. So this place of justice, I mean, I'm just going to land the plane here for today, but this place of justice that we're looking at is, you know, How did Jesus do this? What's, what's he doing? Doesn't, I mean, justice, doesn't justice imply that in the end all will see and understand, even those that don't like it? Isn't, isn't that what justice like? Every, justice brings an evil, uh, or not evil, but a level playing field? Well, here Jesus is talking like, you know, you can say you see, but you're going to end up blind, and you can say you're blind, you're going to end up seeing. That's not a level playing field. How will the spiritual battle that Jesus is now introducing be won or lost? Jesus now just injected, and, and you can read through the gospel, and I think we, we can blow past this without really taking a lot of thought. But when Jesus introduces this idea, you're of your father the devil, that was a huge uh, weight he just dropped in the middle of the room. And you can see, when you see from the words how, I mean, they were in, you know, they became indignant. What do you mean? We're of our father Abraham. And, you know, when we just read through all that. So there's this place where Jesus is like, Matt, you're of your father the devil. He's now introduced the unseen realm. This is not just humanity figuring out what humanity should or shouldn't do. There's something beyond humanity that's actually at work. And it's the devil, the accuser, the accusation. The, these questions, you know, they're all interconnected. And Jesus is leading us to the answer, and, it's all, and it culminates in his trial and his execution. 
John, though, is showing us that the bigger picture that, that's, that's happening here through this whole narrative is that these events of injustice, these events that are starting to, to culminate towards Jesus that result in his death, these very events will bring about the new world, the new way of being, which will ultimately lead to the new creation. You know, when the scriptures say that um, God brings good out of all things, this is, this is the pinnacle example of that. So where we're going to end today is just before we can move on to the new creation and all the good, happy stuff that we all like to talk about, John actually takes us, takes us into the darker side of this whole story, which is the adversary. And so next time I'm up to talk, we're going to go into the adversary, the devil. What does that, what does that mean? Um, and how does that all play into this, into this narrative? But for that, I'm going to stop right there. Having drawn no conclusions, I'm going home. <laughs> Father, I just, over, over this word, Lord, continue to breathe in that, into us that we can behold. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room that the, the hearing or the seeing of our ears will become sharper and sharper. That, Lord, there be no measure of blindness in, in any of us, but we're able to see clearly because we've heard, because we know your voice. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher of that, and, and we just invite you to come teach us. And maybe we, may we be willing students that our hearts burn for your voice. And Lord, may our eyes be flames of fire as we image you to those around us that sets the captive free, that looses the prisoner, that lets those that are caught in sickness free. Lord, help us to be your imagers well for your glory. Amen.